How are we? How's your, uh, how's your sourdough starters doing? Anybody, how, how many of you guys in the like early stages of the pandemic, you were, you were in the bread, that was like your weekly thing, was making bread, none of you? Okay, thank you. Kyle, okay, cool. How's your sourdough starter? Oh, you never even got to the sourdough starter phase. Okay, cool. Man, I, I was thinking about, uh, I was just talking to Jeremy outside about the um, like early pandemic stages, lockdown, where all of us picked up these new hobbies. Um, so whether it was the sourdough starter, or some of us became like plant people in the middle of it all, or like Jared, he like kicked up his World of Warcraft hobby again before realizing like I can't keep doing this in his words. <laughs> but I don't know if that was his discovery or his wife's discernment that he can't keep doing that. But I've been thinking about hobbies in general and the enthusiasm that like comes with them, the excitement of finding something new. And so whether it is World of Warcraft or your sourdough starter or magic or motorcycles, or I had a friend who just decided he wanted to be like a cowboy and wear cowboy boots. And that was like his kind of thing now. Like we just, the, the guy went from like, you know, urban kind of guy to, I'm gonna wear cowboy boots from now on. And that, that lasted, you know, a couple of months. Or maybe uh, my same friend that he decided he wanted to be a DJ. And so like there were months like buying all the gear and stuff like that. And he got enthusiastic, putting on parties as a DJ. And then, you know, it's collecting dust in the garage in the months to come. So baking, plants, whatever it might be. I've been thinking about this past week, the enthusiasm that gets us excited about something and we start moving with this. We're getting excited. We're, t- we're buying the stuff. We're, we're putting the time in. And then slowly over time, it just kind of dwindles away. Maybe beyond even the subject of uh, hobbies, even the conversations of justice from two years ago were loud and engaged. And then just like the enthusiasm, just like the sourdough starter over the course of the months and years becomes just another thing in the rearview mirror. Enthusiasm has to move into our endurance for something to get good, for the sourdough starter and the bread to really get like where you, you're like, you know, top level baker, it takes time and work. Like we've like years into the plant thing now, we basically live in like this little weird greenhouse. My wife was out of town for three weeks for the kids. She came back and she walked in. She's like, I figured out what our family smells like. You ever wonder what your family smells like? She's like, our family just smells like plants. Like we just like, our house just you walk in and just like earth and dirt and plants. And I was like, I don't know if that's a bad thing or a really good thing, but that's what we smell like. But the whole point being, the enthusiasm of the early plants where for many people, the plants just end up dying off, by sustaining that enthusiasm and it moving into endurance with the plants, we've got like, we're propagating stuff. We got vines growing all over the place in our house. It's awesome. In order for things to move and grow and become more, and this pertains to justice as well, at some point, enthusiasm has to lead to endurance. You guys tracking with me so far? Now, this immediately applies to the issue of our spirituality, our faith, of, of this idea of what we've been talking about, endurance, and the, the letter of 2 Timothy, all about endurance. And, and I've been thinking about a spirituality of enthusiasm as the starting point of where endurance needs to come out of and grow out of, that we can't stay with a spirituality of enthusiasm. What do I mean by this? There is a type of Christian faith, walk, discipleship, whatever we want to call this, that is largely motivated by an enthusiasm of moving from highs to highs, of like extreme awesome you know, moments where it feels like God is really present, he's showing up, he's speaking, and then you just kind of are looking and always expecting that. And so you have these incredible highs, but then you don't know what to do with like normal, ordinary life. 
A great example of this is right now, all across the country are millions of stinky teenagers and middle schoolers crowding into cabins for summer camp all around the nation right now. And, and you just give it a week, and by Friday night, you got the big worship service at the end where everybody becomes a Christian, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, people are speaking in tongues, getting back, right? And they come back, and then we had this incredible experience. Any of you that grew up in the church, you know the summer camps I'm talking about. And, and then they come back, and then what ends up happening is that, that faith experience, that enthusiasm is actually quite fragile. Because within a few weeks of just getting back to like Fortnite and TikTok and whatever teenagers do, that, that faith experience begins to dwindle because it's largely one that's a, a spirituality of enthusiasm, if you're tracking with me. And though I'm not here to rag on summer camps, I went to them, I took kids on them in my years as like a youth group guy, that if we stay at a spirituality of enthusiasm, it's a place of immaturity. A deep, mature faith is one that finds consistency, one of endurance, a great example of this is Jesus' teachings in the parable of the soils, where he talks about these seeds being scattered, some that fall on the, so the good soil, and they take a deep root, and they grow over the years to come. The others that fall on the path, and they get eaten up. Some thrown in among the rocks, and they shoot up quickly, but they don't get the deep rooting, and so they end up falling over. There's a, a deep consistency, and endurance is the mark of, of health, not moving from height to height, spiritual explosion and excitement to the next. And so why I'm talking about this is because as we've been in 2 Timothy today, the Apostle Paul, in writing these words to, to Timothy, he's trying to help us move from a spirituality of enthusiasm to one of endurance. He's trying to help us mature out of this kind of operation with God as this mechanistic, I hit the right buttons, I go to the right retreat, I get in the new book, the new, you know, whatever prayer, you know, journal or whatever, and I have this immediate incredible experience to a deeper, more resounding, more abundant faith of endurance. And so that's where we're at in 2 Timothy today. So uh, if you have your Bibles, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Uh, like Isaac said, our projector took uh, a little bit of a break. And so uh, if you've got your phones, you can go to collectivechurch.com, and there's a little bar at the top that has the, uh, the, the text there, so you can follow along with us today as we read through this. And so as you turn there, why don't you join me in standing for the reading of God's word. So Paul, just to kind of set up, because we're literally jumping right in the middle of a paragraph of what he's writing. So if you look right above in the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, what's Paul talking about? He's saying, you, Timothy, like last we looked at last week, be strengthened. And then he says in verse 3, share in suffering. He's talking about this enduring faith, like a soldier, like a farmer, like an athlete. Endure, endure, endure. And now he's about to help us figure out how. 2 Timothy, beginning in verse 8 of chapter 2, Paul writes, remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. But if we deny him, he will deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's pray. Father, God, our desire uh, is, is to be 
a, a people of maturity, God, uh, to grow, uh, to, to find an enduring faith. Um, God, one that isn't uh, prone to the kind of whiplash of just moving from these spiritual highs to these lows, but a resounding depth of, of our relationship with you that is able to move consistently through all that life might have for us. And so we pray that as we reflect on Paul's words today, you would help us uh, to find the source for that. In your name we pray, amen. We'll go ahead and be seated. So moving from an enthusiastic to an enduring faith, this is what Paul is all about. Like I just said a moment ago, in the beginning of chapter two, he's calling for Timothy to endure. He says, be strengthened by the grace that is in the Lord Jesus. He says, verse three, share in that suffering. Paul is writing to his prodigy, his son in the faith, that he too, like Paul says in verse uh, 10, that he might endure everything, that Timothy, like Paul, might be able to say, I endure everything. And Timothy knew firsthand what Paul meant by everything that he's enduring. He traveled with him for all these years. Paul gives us a little snapshot into what he means by everything in another book that he wrote, another letter, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verses 24 through 27. This is when Paul says, I endure everything. This is what he's getting at. Five times I received 39, more than 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea. I went on frequent journeys. I had danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. If anybody is qualified to teach us about an enduring faith, I think it's Paul. Like that's, that's like he's just like, oh, what, what have you been up to today? You know, Paul, it's probably more of this. And so Paul's writing to Timothy going, man, there is a way to have an enduring faith through no matter what you go through. And so writing to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, his everything that Timothy's going through is he's dealing with false teachers, people that are coming in and sowing seeds of, of just deception about who Jesus is and what he's all about. He's, Timothy is dealing with an unhealthy church, cultural pressures from the outside. Timothy is trying to figure out what to do. And so he's prone to this spirit of timidity and fear in the face of it all. And I would just argue Timothy is everything that he needs to lean into and learn how to endure is a lot like the things that we need to. And so Paul's wanting to help Timothy, and, and we believe here by the Holy Spirit at work within the, the scriptures is to help us find an ability to have an enduring everything kind of faith. Not an enthusiastic faith, but a maturing one into endurance. So how? How does Paul do that? If that's what he's aiming for, how does he do it in this passage? To summarize Paul's words today and, and my word today would be, if we had the projector, just two words that Paul opens this up with. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. This is the primary, to give away the whole talk today, is remembering is what separates an enthusiastic from an enduring spirituality. Remembering is what separates a, a immature faith from an immature faith. Having a you know, I have a five and a two-year-old, just the Dory short-term memory loss. Like, you know, like always forgetting things. This ability to like have, in the midst of our proneness to forget, a just keep swimming kind of mentality, a reminder of what it is we're going after. 
And, and this is vital because we have been, well, you guys, if you are a part of a church in America, you are a part of a system that is prone to believing that what we need is something new, something shiny, some new experience as the baseline for maturing faith. My, I, I want to grow in the faith. And so what we have is, you know, you just go through Instagram and it's like, oh, there's the new personality test that you take this and this is going to take you to new bounds of spiritual, you know, enlightenment. There's this new prayer. There's this new spiritual discipline. There's this new, there's this new, there's that over here. There's this new church. There's that new book stub. There's new, like, there's all of these things that are offering, hey, if you get this, this is going to help unlock depth. And as great as those things are, that plays into an enthusiastic spirituality chasing after something new. But for Paul, just to summarize his words in 2 Timothy, what does he open with next week when we, we come back to verse 14? Paul says, remind them these things. If you uh, flip over, Paul says, uh, continue in what you have learned. Do you notice the continue in what you have? Remind them, remember. If you flip through most of Paul's letters, if you just sit down and read, most of his letters is he's constantly not in, you know, bringing in anything new for the church. He's just reminding them, calling for them to remember things that have already been given to them. There's something to be said that the depth of a true discipleship, a, the depth of a true following of Jesus learns the way of like a, a, a strong memory in the midst of who God is and what he's done. And so what does this mean for us today before we move into the text and start to ask some questions about all this? For some of you here, you are new to Christianity and you're checking things out. And so you, maybe you don't identify as a Christian or you wouldn't. My big prayer in the midst of all this is that you might experience today some life-changing source for your life. That like, yes and amen to the enthusiasm. And so I'm praying that in the, in today or in the coming weeks and months, you'd experience some mountaintop experience where God speaks and something changes within you and you have that moment to carry out of. But this text here, and what we're looking at today, is more directed towards those who are already following Jesus. And it's inviting them into this vision for endurance that's based in remembering. So to kind of play around in the space a little bit more, where did Paul get this kind of paradigm that shaped his whole mode of all of his letters? That the big thing that you need in your walk with Jesus is not something new, but to remember something that's already been done. Where did Paul get this spirituality that leans so heavily on memory? Well, Paul was a Jew. Paul was a Jew, and man, the faith of the people of Israel is, if anything, a religion of remembering. So if you go back and just spend some time in your Old Testament, you look at the Exodus story and the wilderness wanderings, go read Deuteronomy slides that aren't here. Deuteronomy 8, verse 11 says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 4, verse 9 be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things that you've seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Rather, teach them to your children and to their children after them. Do you see, here, and those are just two verses, but I mean, I could, I could just sit up here and read from like all of the first five books, let alone all of the Old Testament, and just keep repeating that the primary framework is a religion of remembering. And then as you go into all of the rites, and the rhythms, the, the practices of the Jewish people, and you know these things that feel weird and archaic to us, many of them are just grounded in helping people remember. So the command for Sabbath in both of the repeatings of the, the Ten Commandments, the first time is, why do we Sabbath? Because we remember that God created everything, and on the seventh day, God rested. The second time the Ten Commandments get given and the Sabbath is commanded, why? Because you are to remember that you're no longer slaves in Israel, in Egypt. 
but now you've been set free. So the Sabbath is based in what? Remembering who God is and what he's done. All of the feasts over the course of the year are grounded in remembering the story of Israel. I mean, they had a geography of remembering. As they would just walk around and God would show up in some way, they'd go, all right, let's build an altar here. And so they just build up like rocks and like, okay, we're gonna name the middle of the wilderness. This has a name now. This is a place with, a, with altars that remember what God has done. And so they just littered the, the countryside. They littered their land with signs and moments and markers of how God had shown up in their history. Even the weirdness of circumcision. Every single time any Jewish man goes to the bathroom or has sex, he's going, yep, I am a covenant member. I belong to God. This is who I am and who I belong to. Tephilim, the, the wrapping of these boxes around the hands and the forehead as reminders of the law, the, the mezuzah. Have you ever seen that you go to your Jewish friend's house and they have the little scroll like that's uh, like, you know, screwed in next to the doorpost right there? It has the, it has the Shema inside of it, yeah. Remember, uh, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So every time they walk by the door, they're remembering who God is to them and what he's done. You see, the Jewish faith, Paul is writing to Timothy, who's a half Jew, and he's going, man, remember, remember, and both of them are just talking the, their, their native language. The Jewish faith is a religion of remembering. Even the first two mentions of the Bible, in the Bible, of the Bible getting talked, so how do I put this? The first two mentions in the Bible about the like writing of the Bible, where you're like reading in a narrative and someone goes, oh, we should write all this down. And you're like, that's what I'm reading right now is you guys writing this down. The first two mentions of this happening are for the purpose of the people not forgetting what God had done. So that your whole Bible is based in reminding and remembering who God is and what he's done. So I'm just saying all this to say, remembrance for the people of God throughout history was about remembering. And this is not because God doesn't do new things. This is not because God doesn't meet us with the enthusiasm and the experiences and the mountaintop moments, but because God is not a divine waiter like Baal, like the pagan gods of the countryside. He is not the kind of God that if I push the right buttons and do the right things, he's always gonna be there and operate on my terms. He is here for relationship and not simply just you being able to push the buttons and get some kind of ecstatic moment with him. And so it requires, because it's a relationship, reminders of the relationship. So that through the ups and downs, no matter what you go through, I'm pointing at my ring finger, those of you that can't see on purpose, that these, these moments are meant to be reminders of the relationship. The God of Israel desires a relationship, a relationship with his people that moves from those ecstatic moments of mountaintop revival and salvation down to the street corners and kitchens of their lives. And so the great danger for Israel, what Paul's pulling on in his writing to Timothy, is the danger of spiritual amnesia is the danger of, of forgetting who God is, as we just read in Deuteronomy. You see, denial and faithful, faithlessness throughout the story of, of Israel was always predicated first with them forgetting who God is. It is the epitaph over their exile, as they are lost from the promised land, is as the psalmist says, they forgot the Lord who saved them. So the great danger is not you know, an intellectual, you know, who is God? I forgot who that is but a functional forgetting, a practical forgetting. This is what leads for us to forget God, which leads most quickly to then denial and faithlessness. And so again, spending some time just in the, in the Jewish story, in the Israel scriptures, what most often leads to us forgetting God? The two sources that we see in the scriptures are prosperity and anxiety. 
If you're taking notes, the two things that are most prone to take us away, to make us forget God is prosperity and anxiety. Hosea 13, verse six, the prophet speaking on behalf of God says, they being Israel were satisfied. Their hearts became proud. Therefore, they have forgotten me. Prosperity, affluence, the West side, what happens with so many of us is we get to a particular place where we don't really have much need. We can meet all of our needs. And in that place, the danger is the belief that I got me here and I can sustain myself here. They don't actually need God. We become very easy to forget him. The other place that it's very easy to forget God is when we really get pushed into moments of anxiety or tension. We don't have to look any further than the Israelites as they're in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Just a chapter after God parts the Red Sea and they're walking through, they're complaining about being in the wilderness and they're daydreaming about the soup in slavery back in Egypt. They're forgetting the God who had saved them. Why? Because of the... the, the situation and the moment that they're in. They've forgotten just a chapter and a half earlier. God parted the Red Sea and he brought it all back down on the Egyptian uh, um, uh, Pharaoh and his army chasing after them. And they're just, they're going, man, remember the onion soup back in when we were slaves? See, the way of endurance, the way of maturity requires for us in the midst of prosperity and our anxiety, have rhythms and pathway of remembering who God is and what he's done for us. And so when you think about the greatest need of your faith, what's the greatest danger to your relationship with God? How high would you rank your memory? You see, like I said a moment ago, the enthusiasm spirituality would lead us to believe that what we need is a breakthrough Bible study, some new ministry, some revival, and yes and amen, But the way of endurance, the way of maturity is to remember the God of those experiences rather than simply chasing more of those experiences. I mean, I remember some of this for myself is, you know, what's been, what's, what got, you know, we had like the craziest couple of years of ministry and just like, we all kind of had just crazy couple of years, but, you know, speaking as, you know, in ministry stuff with pastoring. And what, what got us through 2020, 2021, and now into 2022 in pastoring was, in January of 2020, we had just gotten into Collective. We came on staff in October of 2019, and there was one evening that I was like up praying for Collective and just different things that are going on too, and it turned into like one of those summer camp experiences where like I'm just like sobbing, crying. I end up, I'm like laying on the floor, like praying over Collective, and I'm like grateful for like your, some of y'all's faces that are here today, seeing y'all and praying for you and like this deep welling of like a heart a love and commitment to that. And I tell you, over everything that we've gone through for the past few years, I have not been like writing that, those experiences every single week. But in the midst of like the, the difficulty of the past few years of pastoring and working through all this, it's really been just me like going back to that moment of remembering how God met me there and called me and, and was like in, in the work of, of what collective, I mean, it was just, it was here. So even for you know pastors, is sometimes y'all think of us as like these weird super saints where like every time we open the Bible in the morning, it's just like, no, and like God shows up and we're like in tongues, eyes rolled back, you know? <laughs> and man, I tell you, that, that, that is just, God is not like Baal. He is, he's not like the pagan gods who just show up at our whims. But he, he leads us and guides us through the highs and the lows. And in my experience, God never leads us into valleys without some kind of mountaintop, some altar to look back on. He doesn't take us into the wilderness without first giving us the Red Sea. 
that something for us to look back and remember. And so I, all that to say, before we, I mean, we're, like, we're not even in Timothy yet. We're just doing some background stuff to really help connect all this. But for some of you that in this moment, you feel like, you know, maybe you're like, Mammy, I don't even have an enthusiastic, you know, spirituality. I have like a non-existent one at this point. Like I just feel this life of faith that I desire to be a part of. It's just escaping and I'm losing it. I would just call you in the midst of the valley that you're in to think back to your story in your life and what have been some of those mountaintop moments where God has been there for you and God has been showing up. It's arguable that he was very intentional about giving you those opportunities for this one. But to return back to 2 Timothy, as he's in a hard place like some of us, in danger of forgetting and falling away, Paul repeats what Timothy, as a Jew, grew up hearing in Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. Remember, do not forget the Lord your God. Remember God. Remember the Lord your God. Though now it has a messianic shape, which is already an incredible testament to how, G how Paul understood Jesus as now being one with the Father, one with the God of Israel. What does he say in verse eight of what we looked at? Remember Jesus Christ. Paul calls for Timothy in the midst of the anxiety, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the, the, the enthusiastic spirituality dwindling, he calls for him to remember the person of Jesus. Specifically, he says, remember Jesus Christ. He says, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Being risen from the dead, what, what's Paul getting at? It's Timothy. He spends his whole day telling people about the, that Jesus is risen from the dead. If anybody doesn't need to be reminded of this, we would argue it's Timothy, and yet that's what Paul leads with. He's saying, Timothy, in your, your walking within the resurrection story and proclaiming it, don't forget it. Don't lose sight of the fact that like, Jesus legitimately got up from the grave. And that has huge implications for you as you walk out your front door every single day. What, what if your faith, your life was grounded in the, oh, death is dead. Oh, new creation is dawning. Like, whatever I go through today, whatever store, whatever suffering, prosperity, anxiety, highs and lows, I, death is dead. Paul's calling for Timothy to find an endurance in the, just sourced in the resurrection, to remember the resurrection, not intellectually, but like practically, in his heart of hearts, to remember that Jesus rose from the dead. He then goes on to say, remember Jesus Christ, the offspring of David. What's he doing here? He's, he's, he's calling for Timothy to remember God's faithfulness to his past covenant to David. That, that David would have a son who would come and be the you know, messianic king. And God was faithful to that promise. And so he said, man, remember how God was faithful to David? That his son, that Jesus came, coming out of that He's calling for Timothy to remember the past faithfulness of God as a, moment, as a way of remembering God's faithfulness to him. He moves from reminding him of the person of Jesus in verses nine and 10, where he starts to say, now remember the power of Jesus in the gospel. Remember the power of Jesus in the word of God. And though, Paul says, though I am bound like a criminal with chains, he says, the word of God is not bound. And so, Timothy, I know you're timid in the midst of all that you're going through. I know that you're fearful. I know that you feel like you're at your wits end and at your ropes end. But I'm telling you that though I'm chained and though you are afraid, the word of God is not bound. And so lean into the word of God. Lean into the story. Lean into the gospel as the source of power to get you through this. Because within that word, within that story is, as Paul says in a moment later, it's the salvation with eternal glory there in verse 10 a salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 
So what's Paul doing? Once again, when we get ourselves in Timothy's mind, have you ever been in a conversation with someone and they're reminding you of something that you know to be true? And you're like, yes, I know. Yeah, I know all that. And you don't realize that they're doing that on purpose because you clearly don't remember that right now. I think that's what Paul's doing here. The salvation with eternal glory, Timothy's like, yeah, I know. And I think Paul is generally poking him in the chest. Do you remember, though? I think he's calling for him to remember the, the hour that Timothy first believed. I think he's trying to remember, it's like, Timothy, do you remember who Jesus is and what he, how he met you? Do you remember that moment when you obtained the salvation that is in Jesus Christ? I think for, for some of you, that would just be the thing. You're in a moment where you're feeling timid and tired and exhausted. Do you remember that, that first moment when Jesus met you? That moment that you obtained the salvation that is in Jesus Christ, whether that was, for some of us, a light switch moment, or for some of us, it was over months and years, like a dimmer switch. But do you remember the moment that the lights came on? That experience and that feeling of, this is, this is who I am now. I, I belong to the resurrected and reigning Jesus. There is forgiveness now. There's a new identity that, that what I have done and what's been done to me is now left in the grave with Jesus. And there is a new, I just, and I'm beginning to experience and feel that through the Holy Spirit within me. Paul's calling for Timothy to, do you remember that? Do you carry that with you in your heart of hearts? So he calls for him, remember the power of Jesus in his gospel. And then he moves into verse 11 through 13 at the end of our passage where Paul then calls for Timothy to remember the promise of Jesus and what he calls the saying that's trustworthy. This is likely a song or a creed in the early church that they would sing or recite together. It's adapted from Jesus' words you can find in uh, Matthew 10, verse 33. And so Paul calls for him to remember this promise. And so let's just look at this little like poetic promise here. So the first is there's a little bit of Bible nerd stuff called parallelism, which is where you've got uh, one thing, and then the, so you've got A, you know, if we have died with him, B, we will also uh, live with him. If we endure, A, it's a repeating of kind of the same things said a different way, we will also reign with him, the same things said a different way. And so what Paul's getting at here, for those who die with him, this is the idea of enduring. Those are, the, those are one and the same. And so whether this dying with him is the martyrdom like Paul is about to experience or more likely Paul referring to Jesus' teachings of if you want to follow me, take up your cross. If you want to follow me, you have to die to yourself. And so for those of us who walk in the way of endurance, the way of allowing the parts of ourselves that keep us from the life that we have in Jesus to just be put to death, what, do, what is the promise that we will find in enduring? Life and this eternal reign with Jesus. He's setting the promise before him. He's setting the reminder of what is awaiting those who follow Jesus, who commit, who endure. There's, there's this incredible promise that's waiting for you and I of life and this eternal reign with King Jesus. And if that doesn't like block out and like or dramatically reshape all of the trials and the difficulties that we're going through, I don't know what else can. Eternal life, resurrection life and a renewed world is awaiting those who commit and endure in the way of Jesus. But this promise also comes with a warning in verse 12 and into 13, where once again, in a form of uh, parallelism, it's if we deny him, he being Jesus will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, let's do a little bit of Bible stuff here because this is kind of confusing. 
So if we deny him, he will deny us, but if we're faithless, he remains faithful. So what do you see, does everybody see immediately the problem there, right? Deny, deny, faithless, faithful. Now, there's a couple things that, that we can interpret this with. One is that what, the, what Paul's getting at here is that even if we, you know, we doubt and we, we falter in our faith and we go through difficulties, God's faithful to us anyway, which is an incredible doctrine about the, not just the perseverance of the saints, but the grace of God. Now, I'm gonna argue that I think that's the right doctrine, but this is the wrong passage for it. So does the Bible teach that, that in the midst of our doubts and our faltering, that God is absolutely faithful to his people, that he is gracious in guiding us in the midst of difficulty? Absolutely. But in the context and based off how Paul writes, I think that that's the right teaching, but that's not what this is saying. So faithlessness, one, that Paul, that, that word that Paul uses here, excuse me, is regularly used in his writings, never for like a faltering faith or a season of doubt or a season of difficulty. Faithless is always an outright rejection of the faith. So more like apostasy, more like a, I, I know the way of Jesus and I'm outright turning and I'm gonna go the other way. And so what then is this? If he, what, what is he faithful to? Is he faithful to us even if we're faithless? No, what does he say right after that? He cannot deny himself. The whole point of what Paul's getting at here is the faithlessness, as Paul says, almost the exact same thing in Romans 3, verse 3, the faithlessness of others doesn't nullify or cancel out God's faithfulness to his promises. And this is vital because of what we've been looking at with Philegus and Hermogenes. These guys have such, I just need Steve and Frank as like Bible names. In the midst of Paul, Timothy, looking out and seeing all these other co-pastors and leaders in the church who are disqualifying themselves, they are going the way of denying Jesus and becoming faithless. The whole question that comes with many of us is, does that, what does that mean for God's faithfulness to me? So you, you mega church pastors, or you have, you know, Ravi Zacharias was this big evangelist and, you know, completely disqualified himself with all these sexual abuse stuff. You've got all of these pastors that over the course of history, they disqualify themselves and they, they tear down the message and it leaves people going, what does that mean about who God is? The God that they were running around preaching for so many years. And this text, what this means is, regardless of what they do, like even if I pray to God, this had never happened. Even if Ryan disqualifies himself one day, the God who's being talked about in this sermon right now is still faithful regardless of Ryan isn't. Regardless of whoever the pastor might be, maybe in your history or in your podcast feed. That God is faithful, though sometimes the people that carry the message and even carry his name might be faithless. And so Paul's reminding him in the midst of this promise that God is gonna be faithful to his promises no matter what. And that, that promise is held out. If you endure, you will reign. If you die, you will live. If you follow Jesus in the V-shaped gospel of entering into death and suffering for the sake of of Jesus and for others, then on the other side is resurrection and life. It's the way that Jesus went in his own life and it's the way of the cross for all of us. And so this is a strong word, but at the height of this promise, what it's calling for us, the depth of its warning is to remember back to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. If we're so worried about wanting to endure and we want to, if we want to live with him, if we want to reign with him, we want to endure, we want to die to ourselves, as hard as that sounds, we don't want to deny him and be denied by him. We don't want to be faithless. To go back to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, what's the precedent for those things happening? Is forgetting. 
the way to find this life and this reigning in the promise of Jesus is to remember the person and the power of Jesus, to bind it to your forehead and hands, to talk about it along the way, to work it down in the depths of your very self. And so how? Let's just get practical now as we begin to close. How can I get this remembrance? I want to endure. I want to live. I want to reign. I want to die to myself. I want to follow Jesus in this way. I want to find a faith that's not enthusiastic and swinging back and forth based off whatever I'm going through, depending on the season, but a resounding, mature, consistent faith. How can we do this? A couple little practical things from the passage. The first is by surrounding ourselves with other people. Notice what Paul does to writing to Timothy. He reminds him not just of Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in the gospel, but as preached in my gospel. And then in a moment later in verse 10, he says, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect. What's the purpose of the endurance? For the sake of the, it's for the sake of others, that others that they too might obtain the salvation that I found. And so one of the ways that we can find endurance is by not just remembering Jesus, but remembering Jesus in the context of a community. Remembering those who have gone before us, like Paul to Timothy, as a forebear and a leader in that endurance, but also remembering those who are around us that need our endurance so that they have someone that they can look to. And so just the question for whether that's your discipleship group or right now, who are you enduring because of? Who are those forebears? Maybe those are your actual parents. Maybe that is some kind of mentor figure over the years. But there is someone that, man, I am enduring in the faith because of them. And as you think of them, you can feel this resolve to endurance building up within you. Who, who are those people? And then also thinking about who are you enduring for? Who are you enduring so they too might obtain the salvation that is in the Lord Jesus Christ? That might be family members, it might be neighbors, it might be your children, it might be your roommates. Who are you enduring for? Maybe you need a list that you just have in front of you on a regular basis. You remember, this is who I'm enduring because of, this is who I'm remembering, this is who I'm following for. And it's a common thing with a lot of pastors that they will have pictures of like old mentors in their office or in their study. And the whole point is this just reminder of in the midst of the ins and outs of their ministry work is they've got, you know, you know, old Greg or whatever, like, you know, there in the office looking at him while he's working. And this reminder of like, oh, this is who, this is who I'm enduring for. This is who I'm here because of. And there's a, there's a tradition, there's a storyline that I'm a part of their story and they're a part of mine. Some of you, that, that genuinely might need to be something that you have like in your house is whether that's your parent figures or mentors or like don't have any pictures of me in your house. Like don't even use me as that. But like you need to have somebody that you're seeing on a, like just how do you bring these people back to memory? This is, who I'm, this is who I'm enduring because of. And then simultaneously, who are you enduring for? I know my, my father, he has this, you know, little prayer journal that he has and he has got these lists of the people that he's enduring for that he prays for on a regular basis and part of his prayers for them is bringing in this idea of his own endurance for the sake of them. Some of you are in a discipleship group and I would say this is one of the key places to find both of these at the same time. The people we're enduring because of and we're enduring for is this reciprocal relationship of remembering together. Some practices of helping us motivate a way of remembering can be found in scripture and in prayer 
bringing in prayers of not just having prayers of asking God for things, but thanking him, prayers of gratitude. This is most of the Psalms. It's God, I will recount the ways that you've, I'm remembering the way that you've done that. If the Lord had not been on our side, remember in bringing this story of what God has been, who he's been to us. For some of us, we need to build some altars. Like whether that's actual locations or moments, some way of of building a, a sign and a symbol of a moment when God showed up in your life. Something that you have on the mantle or you have like literally out in the middle of the, the woods or something. But some, some tangible sign that when I look at that, I remember God meeting me in that moment and in that season. There's so many Christians who celebrate their spiritual birthday as a way of remembering the moment they were baptized or they first professed faith. Weekly gratitude journals. For some of us, we need like the Tefalim or a mezuzah on our doorstep or on our hand, like a bracelet. Some, I'm trying, like practically, like the main danger of your faith is you forgetting. So what are you doing to help yourself remember? There's all sorts of ways. I know one pastor who has a photo album on his computer that is literally just a handful of pictures from over the years that he goes through every single week. And it's pictures of him as a kid, and then him when they moved here, and then his first little like internship in a church, and then here's his graduation from seminary, here's his wedding day, here's his kid, like, and he just goes through it as this wave of remembering how God has been faithful to him through all of the years and shown up. What kind of rhythm do you have for this? Martin Luther, the reformer from 500 years ago, he carved into his desk in these giant letters, I am baptized. <laughs> It just this, remind, this is who I am. I am forgiven. I belong to Jesus. I am beloved. I am called. I am baptized. He, he would lead the people in his church that whenever you wash your hands or you bathe, rem- have that be like a little repeat baptism moment. Not because you only get baptized once. That's a whole other conversation. Like speaking of summer camps, uh, people that come back in like another summer, I'm getting baptized again. But The whole point is this repetition of every time you wash your hands or you bathe, you remember your baptism. Let that be an identity moment. I am forgiven. I am belong. I have belonging within the Father. I am beloved. The Spirit is with me. I am called. Jesus is with me. Finding some rhythm and habit. Now, some of this repetition seems itself like a dead ritual and religious. Ooh, scary. But here's the thing. We do things repeatedly that awaken our hearts and they move us to love and be more engaged in our lives. This is why the Liverance Brothers have seen Top Gun eight times over the past couple of weeks. They love it. What is this not dead religion for them? They love it. We're a little worried about them, but it's going to be okay. And so I would just say, what, like, the, the, the main encouragement today is, man, no matter what season you're in, you're in anxiety, you're in prosperity, you're wanting to mature more in the faith. And the simple thing today is, what kind of rhythm could you develop? Some kind of way of developing a rhythm of remembering on a regular basis, of just remembering God's faithfulness to you over the years. That doesn't mean that we're not chasing revival and those big experiences, but we're not basing our relationship with him on those. And so one of the final ways that we do this every single week, we bring this remembrance deeply to us is through the practice of his presence. On the night before Jesus' cross, he gathered around with his disciples, he broke bread, and he lifted a cup, and he said, this is my body, broken, this is my blood, this is the blood of my covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. He gave it, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remember me. The chief 
way that Jesus goes, here's how I want you to remember me. Yes, you, you do the photo album. Yes, you do the gratitude journal. You do whatever. On a weekly basis, I want you to gather and to receive me and remember me in the table. This is the weekly time that we like reset our compass and our hearts back to who I am and who we are as the people of Jesus. And this is the, one of the great miracles of our faith, these sacraments that we have. Other than baptism, we have communion as these two ways that we remember and we receive the person of Jesus, his power at work within us. And so we're gonna move in just a moment into a time of worship and response, and it is the table that we come to because Jesus says this is the chief practice of how we can remember Jesus. And so I would just encourage you, in a moment when we come up here today, when you come, if you wanna take it immediately, you know, you rip off the, the, the Lunchable seal and you like, you know, that's great. I would just encourage you, take it back to your seat, sit with it for a bit, and before you take it today, just begin to replay your story. For some of you, it's been a couple of months. For some of you, it's been decades. Whatever your story is, however God has been faithful to you throughout it, would you just take that time, remember Jesus, who he is and what he's been for you.